Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is 2D Surgical Hospital, and joining me from California is author Lorna Grease. Thank you, Lorna, for joining me today. Well, thank you. Well, uh, this is uh, a read that obviously involves your personal story. Tell my listeners a little of your background and how this book got to be written. Well, I'm from California, and I I went to nursing school here in Sacramento, and then I was restless enough to go looking around for something besides working in suburbia. Hmm. I wanted to see a little of the world. So I joined the Navy first, and finished that tour, got out, and then Vietnam was starting up. Wow. And I thought, wow, maybe I should get back in the Army to go to Vietnam. So that's what I did. I, I went and interviewed. I switched from Navy Reserve to Army with a guaranteed assignment to Vietnam. Incredible. That, uh, I, so would say, took a, that happened. I would say that took a little bit of extra courage during the time frame that you probably enlisted and and ended up in Vietnam. Can you tell me the time frame that that encompasses? That was 1966. Oh, boy. A lot of people thought that was an unpopular thing to do. Uh, you uh, are very courageous to, to have done so. Uh, was it tough to a tough decision for you? No, I was up for adventure and and you know I'm patriotic, patriotic, up for adventure. So I thought it would be a good nursing experience too, good experience. And in your novel, not in your novel, but in in your book, your biographical sketch of uh, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital Mash in South Vietnam. Explain to my listeners what that entailed. Was it a a, a standard walled uh, uh, facility, or was it uh, tents? How was it set up? An, an, an army hospital in a war zone is requested by a commander of a base. We sat on the um, air on the mobile helicopter base. In Anke, that was the First Air Cavalry Division. So we were there to support the First Air Cav. We were actually on their base. So um, those, that's who we served. Mm, okay. And so uh, the hospital is requested by a base commander that needs medical support. Did did they have the right type of equipment to deal with the casualties of war? Yes, we did for the most part. Because when, when you're in a war, all of your patients are healthy. They're all healthy, strong, physically well. So whatever injury you get or illness is on top of a healthy individual. Uh, of, of, the ex- oh. of the experience there, other than the, the, the obvious medical uh, experiences, were there other things about that journey that uh, the listeners will find exciting in your book or interesting? What, like, what do you mean? Well, I, I, I'm talking, I guess, outside of the base itself, outside of the, the actual medical uh, procedures and uh, activities. Were there other parts of the journey that will be of interest to them, or did you share that? 
most of what we did was medical. We had our own military patients, but we also had Vietnamese patients. Hmm. That's we had a we had a contract, so we would go would go visit villages and bring home Vietnamese patients that needed surgery, injuries fixed, needed education for one thing or another. Phenomenal. The titles of some of your chapters are interesting. You have uh, highlighted in Chapter 7 something about a haircut, and Chapter 6, your first push. What is the word push? Because it's in, whatever you call those, it's in, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. In parentheses. parentheses. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Lorna, for correcting me. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm referring well, to. Well, a push is a mass casualty exercise. Um, it's not an exercise. It's a mass casualty. That's That's when you start getting patients... You start getting helicopter after helicopter after helicopter, and you get patients almost more than you can handle. Mm. And they work through, they go through a triage system, and then they go to surgery if that's what's required in in order of need. And then they go to recovery and back out onto the wards when they're recovered. And from there, if they can go back to duty, they do. If not, they were they're transferred, AIRVAC'd back to one of the larger hospitals, or to Japan, Hawaii, or to the United States. The number of hours that you that you were involved per week, I would guess, was it a standard schedule, or did you just work basically nonstop during that week? Oh, we worked nonstop until the until the push was over. Wow! Sometimes if it's eighteen hours, if it's twenty-four, we did. And the most important person there was the patient, the GI we wanted to get back to duty or home. Beautiful. Every one of those guys was somebody's brother, father. We didn't have any women there except the medical people and a few intelligence people. So they were all men, okay? Right. All the patients, yeah. And So they, they, all, they all had somebody back home they needed to go home to, and we knew that. You have described some of the other activities or, or some of the communication styles there. One of your chapters is, is titled, You Just Have to Explain It Right. What communication issues did you encounter there? We had enemy patients. The, the person I was talking about was a North Korean. Hmm. I couldn't talk to him, but he had injuries that needed a nasogastric tube, and he kept pulling it out. Oh. So I kept having to put it back in, and I finally explained it right. And wow. that was that one you'd have to read to uh, see, because I behaved like a mama grizzly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of nurses that sometimes have that uh, disposition, depending on the patient. Well, I didn't, I didn't you know... He, he, I, I'm sure he had a mother that was very stern because I must have reminded him of her. Because when 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 I finished putting the tube back in, we smiled and nodded, and I, I said thank you. Wow! Wow! <laughs> with with all with the with all the rest of the patients I had, I couldn't keep putting that tube back in, so I had to figure out a way for him to keep it down. It sounds uh, as though you certainly had a lot of dedication during that time and probably beyond that. 
Was there any regrets in going to Vietnam on a personal note, or do you really uh, look back with great fondness to that adventure? I have absolutely no regrets. I'd still be in serving in the Army Nurse Corps if I could. They call me too old now, so <laughs> I don't. Instead, I serve at the downtown legislature, but no, no regrets at all. Let's see. Um, the book I wrote was written from the point of view of a nurse, not of a war. It was not political. Not uh, You knew the war was going on, right. but it wasn't really that much a part of the book. Have you? Uh, had, what was your question again? I was wondering about about feedback. Whether you have had uh, responses from those. I I, for, I was just thinking. I have a neighbor who is a Vietnam vet, who has PTSD. Would he be able to read this book and uh, and enjoy it without any concerns, or is it really something that maybe uh, an individual who's a little little more removed from the actual experience uh, would enjoy reading? Everybody that's read it has enjoyed it. Well, I have friends here that are Vietnam vets with PTSD. They've read it. They've enjoyed it. My family's read it and enjoyed it. People who know nothing about war have read it and enjoyed it. It was. It's written for a person that knows nothing about the situation. It's written so that I had been giving PowerPoint presentations with pictures three years before I wrote this. Hmm. And the responses I got were, Gosh, I didn't know that. Boy, that was interesting. Hmm. That changed my view of the Vietnam War. So, you know, anybody, everybody that's read it's liked it. You've included also, for, for my listeners, there are some wonderful photo, photography that's included in the book that covers some of the, the content of your chapters. How long did it take you to complete this when you began writing it, Lorna? When I began actually writing it, it took about six months to write. But the th I'm sure the three years before were planning process. But the actual writing was only about six months. Did you have to do any additional research, or were you drawing strictly from your memory? It came from pictures and memory. The research was to make sure I got all of the facts right, like how many patients a helicopter would carry and things like that. And what is a mon I did I, I did do research. One, one of the photos here is a Montegard man. What 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 is that or who is that? Mountain yards are All right, okay, um, mountain yards, okay. Are people living in Vietnam? They're actually Vietnamese. They may stretch over into Cambodia a little bit, but they live in Vietnam. They're just um not the same as a regular Vietnamese. Uh his dress they is were, They actually supported us. Really? Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. What what would you say is is there a uh, a message a hidden message or not a, not a hidden message but a message that comes comes out of your book or is it just uh, really a book that is informational in its in its scope? Um, it's informational in its scope, but the message that comes out of it should be that war does change people, the people that fight in it. I know I came home more mature than when I went. I came home way out of step with friends. Mm. 
I wasn't up on the latest movies, ice cream flavors, TV shows. I didn't know the sports teams, the latest fast foods, clothing styles. I had to come home and kind of start all over again to get to know my country mm. because it wasn't it wasn't friendly to me when I came home. Yes, I I am sure. Nor were possible. nor were people friendly to me. And how long did it take to integrate back into uh, you know the United States and its society? Um I think I'm still doing that, but <laughs> I stayed in the army. I stayed in the army for almost 30 years. Wow. So I had peer support along the way, but I did did stay in the army system with the army customs and things. So when I retired, I still had adjustments to make, but getting back into learning to drive on the freeway again more than 25 miles an hour uh-huh. took a few trips because <laughs> right. I hadn't driven in a year. Mm. Especially right? in California, I would think that you would have been challenged a little bit more than typically. Right, right, yeah. The, the war actually changed what I considered important. And it wasn't things anymore, because I lived for a whole year without things. The television said we didn't have television, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have... Um, we didn't have phones at all, right? Except the army crank phones that nobody could work. Mm-hmm. Just, 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 uh, just the uh, some of the few of the sergeants could work those things. Well, thank you for sharing your story. It's 120 pages, and and uh, as you've described it, it is uh, not only your reflection, but it also has the underlying message uh, of the importance of uh, being stable and becoming stable in spite of your circumstances. You, you've done a, a wonderful job on this, and it's conversational also. And uh, your recommendation is this book would work for anybody, even those who have uh, maybe a sour experience in Vietnam or a, a sad experience that they don't want to revisit. You don't think that's going to be an issue if they look at 2D Surgical Hospital? No, I don't think so. I Wonderful. don't think so. Wonderful. Uh, in fact, if they have a sour impression of Vietnam, I wish they would read it. Good advice. The title is 2D Surgical Hospital, also uh, in in military parlance. It's a second surgical hospital, but it's spelled 2D Surgical Hospital. And my guest who's joined me from California is author Lorna Grease. And listeners, Grease is spelled G-R-I-E-S-S. Lorna, where do my listeners get a copy of your of your novel, of your book? It's available on Amazon, and it's available on Barnes & Noble, most of those outlets. It's all, also has its own website, www.2dsurgicalhospital.com. Excellent. Thank you for taking time to visit with us today. And uh, just on a personal note, thank you for your service. You have uh, certainly uh, been an inspiration by uh, sharing your story. Thanks again. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. For Ex Libris on Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts.
Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title is The Call of Duty, Above and Beyond the Call of Duty, actually, for love. And joining me from Florida is author T.J. Allen. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me, Tina. Welcome to the program. Is this your first novel? It's the very first one, yes. 97 pages, and uh, it it is uh, revolving around sort of the the military, at least that's part of the the layout of your your novel. Share with me a little of that background and how this got integrated into uh, your context here. Um... I married a um, uh, a Marine in 1982, and um, uh, we were married for five years, and we were, you know, here and there, you know, uh, different locations um, with his uh, active service, and then we were divorced in 87, and then I married an uh, Army reservist uh, after that um, in 1990, and uh in between uh, the two relationships, I actually penned um, uh, this uh, novel. Um, you know, part, most uh, a good majority of it is uh, fiction because it revolves around a mock trial and a mock investigation because I was a law major in um, college. Yes. And we had to develop, uh, you know, a mock trial, a mock investigation and play it out. And um, but it also deals with the uh, true relationship issues that I uh, was uh, in, um, meaning uh, the physical and mental abuse as far as uh, my own uh, relationship and a sexual assault that happened to me um, from another individual, not my not my spouse, but uh, mm. that also uh, played a big part in um the fall of my first marriage so um, so th- this and, is th- uh, this is not biographical exactly, but it does draw from your personal experiences as a lot of authors uh draw from is that correct that is correct yes. And when you began to write this uh, during that time back, I guess it's been several years ago when you started this, did you complete it at that time or, or was this something that you completed recently? Actually, I actually completed it at that time, but um, uh, of course, you know, back then it was uh, typewriters and handwritten. And um, so I actually really did nothing with it other than, you know, close the chapter on you know, that part of my life. And, um, you know, until I heard about, um, self-publishing and, um, you know, um, read more up on it and understood it, I actually didn't submit the, um, uh, the book for, uh, anything until, um, 
you know, 2012. So. And would you describe this as a, uh, I guess in a broad sense, a, a romantic novel, or is it mystery, or is it a combination of several types or several genres? Um, I'd say several. Several. And in 97... Mystery. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, there's ni- ahead, 97 pages uh, is not a long read. Uh, would you describe this as something appropriate for everyone, or is this a little more adult in its style? It's more adult because um, there's a lot of sexuality in it um, because I had to get my own um, sense of sexuality back after being um, assaulted. So, um, you know, so I would I would lean it more towards um, the adult um, uh, community rather than, um, you know, uh younger generation. Right. Well, I, I wrote, uh, not wrote, I read a couple of uh, uh, excerpts from it as looking through the novel and uh, noticed a few things that I thought, well, maybe uh, that's okay for me, but I wouldn't want my grandchild or my, my daughter to read this necessarily. You, you, uh, you have uh, focused, uh, because of your um, association with military and military people, uh, would you think this makes it unique? I, I, I don't know that I've seen one that is, um, you know, specifically designed like this. Uh, um, there probably isn't one specifically designed like that, only because, you know, back in the 80s and early 90s, um, you know, the military wanted to hush up, um, you know, pretty much, you know, anything to do with uh, um, abuse or um Assaults and, um, you know, so it was easier to move the problem than, um, you know, create bigger and, um, more publicity than, uh, you know, a, a military base or anyone wants, you know, to have to deal with. So, sure, uh, understandable. The courtroom drama, the courtroom aspects of your novel. Uh, was that also based on a factual uh, experience, or is this um, uh, something totally different? And can you describe it without giving away the plot? No, it is. Um, it is pr- pretty much uh, an experience. Yes. Okay, and an experience from other women, um, as well as uh, myself. So. So it's a it's a composite of of experiences that's uh, shared in your novel in your book. the The writing of the book did it take a long time or was it something that came creatively just uh, just effervesced to the to the surface? Um, it pretty much just um, it, you know it obviously came you know after you know my divorce uh, you know five years later and um, it uh, it actually was. I guess something that uh, my gut instinct told me I just had to do to end up closing the the chapter on that part of my life, you know, because it, it's hard to, you know, give up your first love, right. which my first husband was, and, um, you know, to, you know, tragic, you know, post-traumatic, you know, uh, issues that um, sometimes you have no control over because someone else is controlling you. Um and, you know, so it uh, was one of those things that I just had to put pen to paper, you know, to where I could just uh, close that that chapter on my, my life and go forward, you know. Absolutely. Um, so that's, pre- that's pretty much, um, you know, it, you know, um, 
as as to how the book came about. And and you were an observer of military life, uh, not an actual participant in the uh, strictest sense of the word. Uh, your your spouse spouses were, were both involved in military life. The courtroom drama does it also include uh, something or relating to a, a murder mystery? Uh, uh, yes, there is a murder mystery that um, uh, you know you know is tacked onto there. You know because you know of course I was going through school and, um, you know, um, with a uh, emphasis on uh, becoming an attorney. So, therefore, um, we had to put together a uh, an investigation because I was actually a criminal justice major at the time and an investigation and actually played out. And um, so I uh, kind of threw that, you know, in, even though I got more detailed uh, than what we actually played out in a classroom because we only have so much time in the classroom. But um, um, it just, uh, you know, came out because um, back then uh, there was, um, you know, homosexuality and all was is, was forbidden and an untalked about, you know, subject matter. And um, so I just took that and, um, you know, played up on that particular uh you know, issue also, you know, which does have military emphasis, you know, because they considered out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't talk about it, we won't ask about it, so to speak. And, right. um, you know, that's how a lot of the um, homosexuals and lesbians and on all got, uh, um, you know, through the yes. war without being, you know, made a big uh, issue or anything. Right. Now, the the book itself, have you been able to share it with uh, maybe uh, others um, in the community that may not know you well? And have you had any feedback uh, at, at this point regarding the uh, the, the novel? Um, there are a lot of people who actually, you know, know me that um, read it and all and, um, you know, totally understood uh, everything that was going on. And, uh, you know, uh, understood how it related to me because they knew me, um, you know, when I, uh, you know, first started in, uh, you know, my new career. And, um, you know, it, um, so the feedback um, hasn't really been negative. It's been, um, uh, you know, positive. And I've had um, other people who don't know me as well uh, read it. And they actually enjoyed it too, um, because they like the um, they like the trial, and then they like the uh, they like the sensuality mixed in because you know today's population tends to you know like that uh, you know um, and whereas you know back in the 80s and early 90s you know you still were kind of quiet on uh, you know sexuality issues and all, but uh, you know, now you're in the, you know, 2018, uh, and, you know, nothing's uh, private I- anymore in uh, a lot of people's eyes, you know, with social media the way it is and all. So uh, um, so I've had some very good uh, feedback uh, on it. Um, you know, I've had some religious individuals tell me, you know, it's too much sex for them to have to deal with, and I, I totally understand that. Um but uh um 
you know, other than that, um, most of uh, the feedback on it's been been uh, positive and not really negative. So, well, that's pretty encouraging. Is this is this inspired you to possibly uh, pen another novel? Um, I've actually uh, penned uh, three more. Three more, and have they been released yes. yet? Have they been released? Yes, they have. They have. Okay. Well, my listening audience can find you under the author name T.J. Allen, A-L-L-E-N. The title of this book Mm -hmm. is Above and Beyond, The Call of Duty for Love, and uh, has a a gorgeous uh, graphic on the front of a a bald eagle and the American flag in the background. Uh, This is uh, something that may be uh, of interest to my listeners. How do they get a copy of it? Um. It is on Amazon.com, and it is also on BarnesandNobles.com. Fantastic. They can also request it from their local bookseller under the under the uh, author name T.J. Allen or sure. Above and Beyond yes, the Call of Duty for Love. And the other books will be released soon, I'm guessing. Is that correct? No, they are released. They are released. I'll give you the titles if you wish. Well, yeah. sure. Go ahead. Why not, why not promote them? Um, Go ahead. Um, it's, uh, it's Perfect Aquarian, which is a true story about... Uh, uh, a pregnancy, uh, my pregnancy, that the doctors told me since I was age, at the, of the age of 14 that I would never have. So it is a very interesting read to um, read the perfect Aquarian. And um, uh, I got a little peeved about um, certain commercialism about erectile dysfunction. So I actually penned my <laughs> own book about erectile dysfunction. And the subtitle is A Woman's Story of Coping and Hoping. Wow. And um, uh, the the one I just released this year was uh, Mirrored Image, and it's uh, Finding the Inner You. Fascinating. And, you... and it's, about dealing, it's about dealing with, um, you know, uh, depression and uh, anxiety and things like that, so... Well, fascinating uh, range of topics that you've covered in your books. Uh, again, the author's name is T.J. Allen. You could do a search under her name and uh, locate this book and others. The title of this one, again, is Above and Beyond the Call of Duty for Love. And uh, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure. For Ex Libris on Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Operation Wappen or Wappen, depending on your pronunciation. And joining me from uh, in uh, Col- and not Colorado, but in uh, Utah, is author Dr. Robert K. Maddox Jr. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. 
You're well, quite welcome. Uh, my understanding from looking at your history is that you have uh, also authored other books. Uh, were those uh, also nonfiction? Yes, uh, I I like history. Uh, I started, I got, I fell in love with the subject in uh, uh, at home because my mother was a uh, was an amateur historian, uh, especially Civil War era. When I went to uh, high school, I had some very uh, strong history profet- uh, history instructors, and uh, learned quite a bit. Uh, because of this, when I went off to uh, college at Stanford University in 1952, uh, we were required to take uh, Western civilization history. After the first quarter, we could opt for the shorter class of three hours or continue with a five-hour course, and I elected to go the five-hour course wow. and selected as my mentor a uh, professor, Anatole Mazur, M-A-Z-O-U-R, who uh, had fought for the White Army in Russia during the uh, Russian Revolution, Hmm. had escaped and uh, found his way to the United States where he became finally, uh, where he became educated and ended up at Stanford. Uh, Also on his, in his department uh, was, uh, uh, were several others who were uh, escaped people from Russia. And so we had access to the uh, uh, Hoover Institute and uh, learned quite a bit there. That's, that, that in itself is fascinating. You, you have obviously a, uh, an excellent memory to be able to recount that. I have some college professors. I have difficulty remembering who they are. Uh, you have, uh, have obviously a good memory. The, the, the book and the research that went into this, again, the uh, title, Operation W-A-P-P-E-N, WAPEN, uh, is the English pronunciation. It's uh, also a German word, I understand. Uh, share with my listeners what that Operation WAPEN or WAPEN is, is about. Um, Operation WAPEN was something that uh, I experienced per, uh, firsthand when I served uh, on active duty with the United States Marine Corps. I'd gone to basic class uh, in 1956, uh, had become an artillery officer, and was sent to Camp Lejeune, uh, where a call went out for uh, people to participate in an extra Mediterranean cruise on a special mission. The mission uh, that was given to us was Operation Deepwater. Uh, This would be the first helicopter landing of an intact infantry battalion uh, behind enemy lines and uh, this was a uh, was a show for NATO uh, top brass Uh, we did that uh, we did that uh, we carried that uh, uh, that that operation out uh, flawlessly had no casualties which was wonderful and uh, we went we were then given liberty in Athens uh, since the uh, since the uh, operation took place in what most people would call Thrace, T H A R or T H R A C E, which is European Turkey, uh, south of the Black Sea and north of the Mediterranean Sea. Right. Uh, when we got to Athens, we were given ten days of liberty, but on the seventh day, all liberty was cut short. We were ordered back aboard ship and sent down to Crete for five days of conditioning marches. That's always an ominous sign when they're trying to condition uh, well-seasoned troops for something. Right. Uh, that usually tells you that something is about to happen. 
we got back to uh, our ships that were uh, anchored in Suda Bay Crete, which is, the we- which is at the western end of the island, only to find that they were combat loaded. Combat loading occurs only when an invasion is imminent. And what it does is it makes certain that the equipment that you need first comes off the ships first, mm. and the stuff you need last comes off last. Right. Uh, it's a very inefficient way to load a cargo ship, but it's a very necessary way to load up when you are, are planning an invasion. We then sailed for the coast of Syria, got there about a day later, had a pre-invasion briefing, uh, and uh, at, during the briefing, I was the youngest uh, officer present, uh, and uh, the uh, this, uh, the commanding officer of troops who was holding the briefing was a Colonel Austin C. Shifty, in quotes, Schaffner. Mm-hmm. Well, he got that nickname because he was the only uh, U.S. officer to ever escape a Japanese prison camp during World War II. Uh, so he was already an icon in the Marine Corps, and one did not question icons very frequently. He got finished with the uh, with the briefing, asked for questions. I was the youngest uh, person present in the in the room. I had a question because you see, when we did Operation Deepwater, we had only blank ammunition that was to make noise and smoke. Mm-hmm. And as far as I knew, we didn't have any other ammunition but blanks at that time. And here we were being told we were to make a hostile landing on a foreign shore. So my question to uh, Colonel Schaffner was, sir, what are we going to shoot at them? (laughs) And then I explained this a little bit further, and I said, the men are down in the hold right now, sharpening their bayonets and saying to each other, we hope the knives will scare them because the blanks sure won't. At that point, Colonel Schaffner uh, didn't directly answer the question. He pointed out the stern portholes of the USS Albany's uh, briefing room where we were towards the stern of the ship where there was a hook and a seaplane hanging on it. He said to me, Lieutenant, see that bird on the hook back there? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you're going to be aboard that bird tomorrow morning at 0500 hours. You and the pilot are going to take off. You're going to fly over the Syrian coastline. You're going to find the center of the Syrian army. You're going to radio back its coordinates, its map coordinates, and then get the you-know-what out of there. Yeah. Mm, my goodness. And I this... said, yes, sir. Uh, but but <laughs> and he paused, looked very uncomfortable shuffled a bit at this point practically everybody in the room was alert oh. now this is and then he said voice yes yes do you want me to go any further oh, give, give well, away the game no i yeah, think i won't uh, yeah. He's, don't, don't tell you have to read the book to find out what he said to me <laughs> yeah d- don't tell be the whole story but this is this is a this is a clandestine uh, operation Clandestine yes, op- it is, and it turned. And... I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. I only found out about uh, Operation Wappen, even its name, later on when uh, I was asked by a niece, uh, "What was the Cold War all about, Uncle right. Bob?" That's right. what she t- called me, and uh, she was about to head out on an LDS mission 
which was going to last for a year and a half, and I said, you know, Rachel, I'm going to have to think about this, and I'll have something written for you by the time you get home. And that's what started me off on the search for what was going on at the uh, uh, at that time in my life, which was uh, the, the date of the landing was to be sev- uh, the 17th of uh, October 1957. 1957. If any of you remember what was happening in October of 1957, that was when the Russians launched Sputnik. Mm-hmm. They had just conducted a large nuclear uh, test in the uh, Siberian wastes, and President Eisenhower was in the midst of having to uh, desegregate schools using an air born division. Incredible. So that was what was going on at the time, and it would be no wonder that this sort of thing would get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, the CIA, CIA and, and M-16, uh, the British uh, version of uh, of CIA, were involved in this behind the scenes. You, uh, as you uh, began to, to write the story and explore maybe some of the details you had forgotten how long did it take sir to to uh, to complete the, it the, took the about a year to right. to get it what had happened was i uh, i didn't i looked at my uh, at my itinerary first it was still in my uh, service jacket which is the file folder that they give you in the marine corps when you when you depart hmm. uh, it has all your orders and all the other stuff in there and in that was a, a an itinerary that had been given to me by the adjutant of 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, as to what you know, where we were and when we were there. Uh, and, uh, and not knowing what had happened and why, what, why this operation had been canceled at the last minute uh, struck me as kind of strange, and so I googled uh, Syria 1957, and it was at that point that up popped Operation Wappen. And I looked at its itinerary, and it was mine. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what is this all about? So I started reading about it, and the first thing I found out was that it was a joint clandestine CIA MI6 operation to overthrow the Syrian government. Not only that, it was phase two of this operation, phase one having already failed, which was an effort to bribe top uh, Syrian officials, and this uh, came unraveled when the Syrian officials accepted the bribes and took the money to their uh, to their commanding to their commanders, reported the efforts to bribe, and the only thing that happened was that virtually most of the embassy staff in Damascus was sent home to the United States, and that was how that sort that how the first phase failed. Now, this was being put together by a couple of very secret, sleuthy guys uh, who are well-known. Uh, one was Alan Dulles, uh, chief of the CIA, and his sidekick, uh, Kermit Roosevelt, hmm. the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And, uh, by the way, Kermit Roosevelt was responsible for the overthrow of the Shah of Iran of the uh, of the government in Iran and the replacement of that government by the Shah really? uh, just a few years later mm. he was well known in uh, in uh, in intelligence circles for his plans and skullduggery. One thing I found out in in reading a little of uh, of the background of the stories that you have shared uh, was that uh, Patton 
was uh, was on a hit list. Uh, who was the the originator of the hit list? And and tell a little of that intrigue. Certainly, um, the story of Patton is just has just recently come out. Best book for that is a uh, a book by Robert Wilcox, uh, Target Patton. Uh, another book which has been popular uh, was published uh, by, uh, oh golly, uh, uh, I've forgotten his name already. But his, uh, he was uh, he was on Fox News for a number of years, and they got rid of him. Uh, and he wrote the Killing series, and he wrote a book, Killing Patton. Right. Uh, Wilcox. Bill O'Reilly. Uh, I think Wilcox's that was, yes. story is far more detailed. These, uh, these... And, well, you want you wanted to know what what uh, who yeah, how, who uh, yes who was who behind did that. it? Correct. Um, he was he was found that he was on the NKVD's hit list, uh, and uh, this uh, it, you have to understand that the time that he was uh, involved in the auto accident, he had been targeted for assassination twice before, uh, and. Um, and I think that's about all we need to say, but these were real efforts to kill him. Wow. And uh, the whole thing was he w- knew way too much hmm. about all the goings-on amongst the top staffs, especially on the Allied side, but also on the Russian side. He turns out that Patton had the best intel- uh, military intelligence going of any army in the field, including boots on the ground behind German lines. To the point where he was able to predict uh, the uh, battle of the uh, the Battle of the Bulge a month ahead of time, warned Bradley about it. Bradley laughed it off. Wow! And Ta- and Patton was prepared for it, and that's how he was able to turn his army in a day and move on Bastogne and get there within two days. That's... And it was about a hundred and thirty miles he had to go. Through the uh, through enemy lines to get there, and he had to sweep the enemy out of the way. That's fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. Absolutely. You you uh, obviously had to do some deep research to find out those details. I on, also understand that you had a connection with the illustrator of your book because there are illustrations included. Yes, the illustrator of the book is my wife, and uh, she is an excellent sketch artist. She does most of the drawings of people, and she did all the work in the 1300 Years' War, which included over 120 sketch illustrations of famous people. Wow. Well, that's that's so she's, uh, uh, interesting. She, she's she's a real talent when it comes to illustrating. Well, you're not so bad as a writer and author, right? It's the way it looks. Well, I I hope <laughs> I, I hope that's true, but uh, you know I'm I'm relatively new at this business. Who was the besides your niece uh, that wanted? To, I guess it was a niece that wanted to find out about Cold War details. Who do you think is going to find this book fascinating, or or maybe access it as a research book? I think anybody who is interested in the Cold War, anyone who's interested in military, anything, anybody that likes spy novels, uh, and this reads like a spy novel, frankly, yes. Yes, it does. in many respects. Uh, it's highly illustrated, by the way, because I was able to uh, carry a camera with me when I was in the service. I'd been given a license to do that in basic school, and they mm. never took my license away. Wow. So... Uh, I used it, and uh, you'll find pictures in this book of the life aboard ship, 
Uh, I didn't take anything that would be out of school, obviously, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting from that standpoint that you have you have it well illustrated, and uh, that's in addition to the sketch artist art by my wife. It's a fascinating book, and the detail you've just described certainly should drive a lot of traffic to your book. The title of which again is Operation. Wappen, W-A-P-P-E-N, also pronounced Wappen. Dr. Robert, where can we get copies of your book? You can get them at Barnes & Noble and on and at Amazon. Um, I would suggest probably the Amazon source. Barnes & Noble will probably have to be ordered specially. And uh, however, they're very uh, they're very helpful when it comes to orders. Believe me. Yes, they are. And their local bookseller can order it in also by the title Operation Vopin, and uh, also under your name, Robert K. Maddock, two D's, O C K okay. Junior, Doctor. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm delighted that you joined me today, and uh, look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next edition of this, uh, maybe this series or something similar, comes out. This is just uh, around 100 pages, so not real deep in the mud, but a lot of interesting side uh, material that pops out in the uh, pages. Thank you for joining me today. You're welcome, and it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. 